Welcome to Hoops Dramas Podcast. Adam Shalifu here, joined by a very special guest. We got Sam Smith on the line. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, let's get right to business. We saw a lot of you on The Last Dance, uh, a documentary that really took the sports world by storm, and a lot of controversy among Bulls players from that 90s run. How did you feel about uh, the portrayal of that 90s Bulls team uh, in the last dance. Well, I, um, yeah, I was going to talk to you again. I apologize for hurting the ratings by appearing on it uh, as much <laughs> as I did. Um, I, I thought I thought it was great um, from a personal standpoint, and not personally me, <laughs> but but more personally for Michael, uh, even though he didn't uh, uh, check to see what my view would be. But um, I, I thought it was a great. Uh, really first opportunity almost since, you know, the early, the mid-80s when Jordan first came to the Bulls, you know, for people to see him, you know, sort of like we knew him, you know, sort of that, those, inter- those interviews where he was sitting with smoking and had a drink there, you know, just sort of relaxed, uh, competitive, uh, you know, joking, uh, yeah, and, and that that part of him, uh, you know, sort of the innocent uh, at home kind of Jordan, you know, was covered over all the years because, uh, especially once they start winning titles, um, you know, some from my my writing books, but you know, also some of the controversies with the gambling and then the bull success and the corporate imaging, and uh, you know, so it was a very open. Uh, honest, expressive Jordan, and I and I thought I, I thought that was a great appeal. Now, as I joked with some people, I, I, they asked me about it, and I said, "Well, it's like a lot of the TV movies you see. It's uh, based on a true story. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the basic facts are all true. They won those titles, and he was uh, hit the gate, big shots, and others did too. And, and there were some of those incidents, but you know, they sort of dramatized some things. You know, the Poison pizza thing was was not the case. It was not true. There were some other things with the fights with some of the teammates weren't exactly as they happened. The bigger one, the only one that I sort of objected to afterwards, just because it's become like urban legend, was this notion that the Bulls never gave them a chance uh, to repeat in, in 98, 99 after the lockout. And that Jordan wished he had, which was that was completely opposite of what occurred. Interesting. The Bulls were begging him to stay, and he was insistent on he was done. Didn't want to play with these guys anymore. We're finished. You know, I can't stand Rodman. All this sort of stuff. And so they said, well, look, you know, there's going to be a lockout. You know, you don't have to make a decision for six months. Don't make any decisions. No, no, no. uh, you know, because other players had to sign contracts and make commitments, and and but they were saying, look, you know, they'll all wait. You, you know, if you'll wait, no, I'm not waiting. <laughs> Let them sign wherever they want. And then plus the other part is a lot of them didn't want to play with Jordan anymore. You know, because they had the opportunity to make much more money um, in in starring roles, even though they weren't that those kind of players, but 
when you get into the finals, it's it's like this past season with Milwaukee. I mean, with Miami. All of a sudden, Tyler Hero is you know about to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. You know, <laughs> it, it, you know there's an awful lot of uh, you know recency, and even the way NBA general managers judge things. It, it, not, not unlike fans, it, 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 most fans can do the same job. They just don't have it. And these guys watch the finals and they think, oh, well, you know, they hit a big shot in the finals. They'll do that for my team. No, no, they're not going to do that. You know, Luke Longley is not going to be who he was standing next to Jordan, neither is Steve Kerr or Judd Bushler or any of these guys. And that's what all those teams found out, which we all knew. But, you know, the other part, the other part of it is, you know, they're, they're, they're going to take their chance to get the opportunity. So all those guys were going to leave. Robin wasn't leaving because nobody wanted him. You know, he went and blew up the Lakers and then Mavericks the next year. You can see from the end of the documentary. But the point was, Jordan was the one who ended it. The Bulls didn't end it. Nobody else ended it. Jordan ended it. He did not want to come back and play again. He was burnt out, whatever. Whatever all the reasons were, not unlike 93, 94. So this, this notion that you know, oh, I wish they'd given us a chance and we owed one more chance. It was complete fabrication. I mean, it couldn't have been more opposite of than the truth. But, you know, it's, it's, it's like a lot of things. A good story uh, is a lot more interesting than what really occurred. But, but overall, it was a great, uh, I, I, thought, I thought it was a great, obviously, it was well-received. I thought... Um, you know, it was a great depiction. I thought it showed Jordan uh, pretty much as he is, as he really is, as people who are close to him know him. And so, um, you know, I'm glad he did that for whatever reasons he did it. You know, whatever some say, well, LeBron was getting a lot of publicity and he wanted to get some attention too. I don't know about that, maybe. But, um, you know, he had kept the lid on all this film the NBA owned. Uh, because he wouldn't give permission over the years to be shown. And so it's, uh, I'm glad that he did, and, and um, I, I thought it was terrific. Now, as far as a lot of the players, I think what showed is, you know, the ambivalent relationships they had with Jordan, that he was a tough teammate. Um, but, you know, as as I tried to write in the Jordan rules, and also I think as he discussed in, in, in the documentary, that that was his way of motivating people. Um, leadership, whatever you want to call it, and um, sort of the ends justify the means. You know, if I've got to pick a fight with Steve Kerr or Will Purdue, you know, or or push Scottie Pippen, I'm going to do it. You know, because it's worth where we're getting. And so, you know, I think I think there was elements of that. But that said, uh, he he could be tough to play with it at times, not only because of his competitive, demanding nature. Um, but he was in different stages when all these uh, other players, when he came back in 95, 96, when they had that, you know, 72-win season, he didn't know any of those players other than Pippen. And, you know, a lot of them were reserves, guys, guys who were barely in the NBA, you know, Kerr, Bushler, Bill Wennington, Randy Brown. And, um, you know, he hadn't, they hadn't accomplished anything or done anything that he does. And even earlier, you know, he came in the NBA in 84, you know, Pippen and Grant came in in 87 and weren't started until 88, 89. So, you know, there's a big gap of accomplishment there that, you know, they're trying to just learn the NBA and he's, he's 
he's trying to compete with Bird and Magic, and he doesn't right. want to do it with rookies. You know, so so there were a lot of uh, you, know, you know a lot of uh, distances, uh, uh, disengagements between him and his teammates at times, and and so, um, but there's not this there's frankly not many teams where you know we like to we like to portray this uh, romantic notion of everybody pulling together and all the teammates and high fives and you know, whatever. And it, that's not the way it is. Just like every office in, in the world, you know, it's one, you, you work with your colleagues and, and you support one another at work, but doesn't mean you're naturally close friends or anything like that. So anyway, overall, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was, it was obviously great timing because the world needed it. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Just starting up. And I thought it was, uh, you know, great for Jordan and his legacy for people to see him, you know, as as a lot of us knew him. One guy who seemed to really take offense to it was Horace Grant. And on ESPN 1000, he uh, talked a lot about the the Jordan rules. And he talked about being pretty upset with MJ, uh, who seemed to say that he was – uh, the main source for your book there. And he pretty much, I mean, he straight up called it a lie. And so, you know, he said that you and him have a great relationship and that you guys still talk, but he'd never really breach the sanctity of the locker room and never would put anything personal out there. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? You know, usually you're someone covering uh, basketball, but you know, in that documentary, you were definitely someone who was being covered. Yeah, I know. Uh, ne- never what what anybody who's in journalism is, you know, hoping for. Um, but I, you know, I became part of the history and the narrative, and you know, and that's okay. And then the, the book has stood up well over time, and you know, George has basically acknowledged during the documentary that. You know everything they they claimed at the time was untrue really was true, <laughs> but whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I I'm I'm actually mystified by this. I um, I mean I don't I don't assume people are, are going to understand you know the process of journalism or books or anything like that, um, but they should. And what I never understood is. Well, a number of things. One is most of the book is it's not sources. You know, a lot of stuff gets written in in sports and politics, whatever, you know, league sources or team sources. It wasn't that. People are all quoted on the record. I mean, the vast majority of of the information in that book comes directly from all the principles. But that's one thing. So you don't need a source if you're you're quoting people directly. Right. the other part of it is, it, everybody everybody was an equal source. I I I spent years with that team. I'd been with that team multiple years before I did the book as a diary of the ninety ninety one season, and had known you know knew Phil Jackson as far back as the Albany Patroons, um, wow. Johnny Bach into the into the eighties when he was coaching Golden State. I, Johnny is from Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I've known him for years. Uh, Pex. Tex, I knew, you know, Bill Cartwright. I knew, you know, so I knew a lot of these people even before I was 
in some cases, you know, before before I was with the Chicago Tribune, but I, I went and did a magazine story in the early 80s on the CBA when Phil was coaching Albany and spent a weekend with him in Albany. <laughs> so, you know, so I went back with a lot, a lot of these people. Plus, I did an investigative reporter in politics and government before I would switch to sports. So I really didn't need like one person, <laughs> that's not the way any investigative reporting works. You know, you talk to everybody and you figure out you know, what the story is. You know, it's that, um, you know, it's that notion about, you know, everybody sees something a different way. So you talk to, you know, you talk to half a dozen or more people to find out what exactly, what exactly really occurred. Uh, and the truth was Horace, you know, wasn't, in the mid, Horace didn't know most of that stuff because, you know, he wasn't in management, he wasn't in coaching. There was no way. So, you know, and so it's a simplification. People say, well, you know, how would you get this information? You know, somebody must have told you. Uh, well, I I had been there for years. It's a, it was a different situation than it is now. Um, you know, there's no private planes. I travel, we travel together all the time. Um, you know, I booked, I didn't, he didn't book my travel, but I got, you know, I, I would get the travel plans for the season and book all my same flights, be on the same planes with them. Uh, back then the NBA allowed open access to any team bus. So you could just walk on a team bus. I stayed in the same hotels that they stayed. So I was with them for years, you know, traveling around, you know, eight months a year with them. So, uh, Actually, you know, the, better, the the more appropriate question is, why didn't I write all that other stuff that I saw? <laughs> I was with them all the time. Um, but that was, you know, that was another part of it. I made made it clear that this was going to be a diary about basketball, not about your personal lives. You know, nobody was going to be embarrassed with their families, lose their job. You know, this was just a basketball story, which I feel like I held to. And, you know, I, I feel like that... Uh, you know, was uh, uh, was the fairest way of doing it. So, Michael Horace was he, he, Horace was the guy who uh, sort of stood up to Michael. You know, nobody okay. else really did on the team. Scotty didn't. You know, Scotty wanted to be part of Michael's orbit. Scotty and Horace were very close, but Scotty was jealous of Michael and he wanted to be part of that. You know, and so he would gravitate over to try and hang around with Michael. But, you know, if you hang around with Michael, you've got to be an acolyte. You, you don't get to be an equal. And so that Scotty came to resent that and then would revert back to hanging around with Horace or others. And then, and then you know, as it was clear, Michael, you know, wasn't close with the other players on the team. And, you know, a lot of them were just sort of hanging on to careers. And, uh, you know, so and Horace, who, you know, is a tough guy. Uh, he was going to join, had he not been a basketball player, was going to join the Marines. Um, and so when things would happen with other players on the team, Horace would, st would stand up and challenge Michael about it. And Michael didn't always like it. So it, it, Michael was very clever, very smart, and um, he knew how to get under people's skin. So that was one way of getting back at Horace. You know, who was not as verbally adept as Michael and would say, well, you know, when I came out, well, you, you beat that. You know, I, I did have a good relationship with Horace and still do. 
Um, but I also do with uh, Phil Jackson and Gil Cartwright, uh, B.J. Armstrong, all of whom I see regularly still, at least, you know, pre and post pandemic. Okay. Um, but, I, but actually, I'm supposed to see Phil. I was supposed to go out and see him in L.A. next month, assuming they have this um, L.A. you know, completely shut down these days. Um, you know, so um, it, it was more that Michael, you know, Michael's way of, of sort of tweaking guys. And so he knew, you know, Horace, uh, you know, that would get under his skin. And, and so it was this way of Michael getting. But, but if you look at it, sort of, if you read the book and then you look at sort of, you know, the way, the, the way things, you know, the way it was done, you know, everybody, everybody was quoted and, and the information that's in there could never have been accumulated by one person. It would, it's, it'd be inconceivable that, that anybody, you know, I, because I was working on it full time talking to all these people, you know, I really knew more than, I knew more than everybody. I knew more than ownership because the ownership doesn't talk to the players. And I, you know, the, you know, nobody is sort of communicating with everybody like, you know, a media person is doing. Now, I might not be sitting in the room when they're making a draft pick or a trade and not know that, but I know how people, you know, players, managers feeling toward each other, which they don't express, you know, because they have these arms length business relationships. So, you know, it's like with your boss, you don't tell your boss how you feel about him, but you do tell your fellow employees. And so the boss doesn't know you hate him, uh, might suspect it, but your friends know. And so that, that's where I was. You know, I, I was just a sponge soaking up a lot of information. Interesting. And I, I thought it was very ironic. You mentioned how, you know, Jordan kind of gives the green light on this one after LeBron James has one of the most impressive, some people say the most impressive finals performance in NBA history and a lot of the criticism around Jordan is that this was an attempt to control the narrative. And how do you feel about that? Uh, do you think this was just an attempt to control a narrative and to uh, kind of reimpose his legacy? And I, I don't. I don't know that it was or wasn't. I know that it wasn't necessary. If it was, you know. But I mean, everybody eventually, you know, gets forgotten. You know, Babe Ruth, whatever he accomplished is is you know at least american baseball you know i don't i don't know what the australian stars would be but you know whatever in our country in the united states whoever you know sort of you know people's uh people's celebration is about what they mostly experience not not necessarily history you know the greatest is often what you see so you know which is what we see you know, on a regular basis and, you know, in the sports cast, oh, I've never seen anything like this because, yeah, you didn't see this guy. You, that's why, you know, Elgin Baylor doesn't get mentioned, even though, you know, he averaged like 38 points and 19 rebounds or some. You know, Will Chamberlain gets dismissed, even though he averaged 50 points a game per game for a right. entire season in which he averaged more than 48 minutes a game played. Oh, well, that was just against little white guys. Well, no, it wasn't. It was against the greatest centers in the history of the game, seven-footers, Nate Thurman, Walt Bellamy, Jabbar. You know. So, what I, you know, so I understand, and, and, 
you know, especially today's media, because there's so much chewing over every little detail of everything that occurred, you know, with social media because of, and I don't even know all the social media things, but I know that exists out there, um, that everything is put on video and everything, like you just said, LeBron had this greatest finals ever. I don't, I don't recall that being the greatest finals ever. I can barely remember what he did in it. Who did he play against? Who, who did they beat? You know, what team with five Hall of Famers did he play against? You know, so uh, I don't, I don't necessarily, personally, don't think um, that you know Jordan's legacy or reputation was in any danger because. You know, it's it's certainly an arbitrary judgment, greatest and all this sort of stuff. You know, but what Jordan could always stand on, which LeBron can never match, is that every time he went there, he won. You know, yeah. he was the MVP. His teams won, um, and the only went the only times he didn't win was when he walked away. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, you sort of can't surpass that kind of perfection in a sense. Um, you know, and then he, you know, also the way he did it, you know, stayed where he was, sort of put together these teams, you know, LeBron's jumped around, you know, had had to go and recruit guys, uh, had to go, you know, go where there was, you know, great. I don't know why he doesn't get, and I, and I don't criticize Kevin Durant for this. I'm a big supporter of free agency, and I'm glad players can do that. But I don't understand why Kevin Durant was condemned for going to join uh, the Golden State team, and LeBron is not for going to join Dwayne Wade, who's one of the greatest shooting guards in the history of the game, and Bosch, who's a Hall of Fame level player, He'll probably still get in the Hall of Fame, even with his illness, shortened his career. Um, you know, they made a big fuss about this, um, you know, the decision show and counting off titles and all, but, you know, LeBron did the same thing. He, you know, Kevin Durant did. He went, and he wasn't good enough to succeed on his own, and went and found, you know, a team where he could hook on to win a title. Uh, so, and I, and I don't, I don't condemn it for that. I, in fact, I don't like that Durant's been criticized for it. Um, I think that's perfectly fine to do that. I, I, lawyers go to you know, the best law firms, and doctors go to the best hospitals, and you know, whatever. You know, journalists go to work for the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. And it's celebrated. Hey, good for you. you but I don't understand why players can't go to the greatest teams and not be celebrated for that. So, That's a good but, point. But, you know, to my point is I don't, I don't think Jordan's legacy is affected by what LeBron did other than, you know, the daily social media drumbeat of, hey, look what I just saw kind of thing. In your view, who do you, who do you think is the greatest basketball player of all time? Well, Chamberlain is the greatest individual basketball player of all time because he was the most dominant player. Bill Russell, you're starting a team, you'd say, oh, i got to take Bill Russell because from day one, wherever he played, he goes to the University of San Francisco, was a nothing school, wins two national championships, walks into the NBA with a franchise that's never won and wins 11 you know, 11 and 13 years. Yeah. So you're saying, well, if I'm starting a team, I would start with that guy. You know, Michael didn't win for seven years. LeBron didn't win until he had to leave town. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's a tough one. I, you know, I would go with Jordan. That's who I saw. Um, you can make it, build a case on the, on the combination of his accomplishments uh, with his style of play. Um, you know, but it's, it's, it's a completely arbitrary judgment. You know, it's, it's, uh, if you had seen Oscar Robertson play, which I did, and uh, I, I felt he, he's the most perfect player I've ever seen. Because at any time on the court, he was the, he was the best player at every skill. He shot better, he rebounded better, and he passed the ball better, and he defended better at any time during the game than anybody else who was on the court. He just didn't happen to have six, seven Hall of Famers as his teammates because his, his GM wasn't Red Arbeck, who was the greatest GM coach in the history of the game. So you know, there's a lot of other factors to these things. But... You know, to simplify the argument, since I'm writing on the Bulls website uh, these days, I, I'll say Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, speaking of the Bulls website, let's move back into modern times here. I got to say that uh, my my partner, Hami, and I have been very impressed so far by the impact of Billy Donovan. And uh, we've talked a lot about the Chicago Bulls lately on the show. Now... What are your thoughts on Billy Donovan's impact, and what has that looked like so far for Chicago? Of course, it's just, you know, preseason. Uh, I think what it is is a professional coach, um, which, you know, the Bulls didn't have last time. You know, the Jim Boylan was in over his head. It was a... Uh, dysfunctional situation, you know, with the sort of rebuilding and the changing coaches and, you know, the roster in flux and, you know, taking over in midseason. And so, and, and that combined with all the injuries made it look a lot worse than it should have been. <laughs> you know, I thought a joke. Um, I don't know how much you, I'm sure everybody follows American politics. Um you know, because of the, uh, our recent president or our current still president. But it's sort of like Donald Trump losing and, and Joe Biden winning. It's just kind of a relief now. Yeah. He's done with the drama. You know, we don't know if, how, how adept Biden will be, but we just know it's going to be better because it's not going to be the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the controversial disasters of the previous couple of years. And, and that's kind of, kind of the way I feel about the Bulls. I oh, know it's going yeah. to be better just because it's not going to be worse. Um, and it really has the benefit of having some better and more mature players. You know, Zach Levine is, is a tremendous talent and it, it's, so astonishing how to me, and now of course I watch him all the time, so it's easier for me, you know, to know. And and it, it, unfortunately, you know, people are always judged. Players are judged by the team results. They say, well, if your team's bad, you must be bad. And you know, there's all these ratings of Levine. You know, he's top, he's 75th or 58th, whatever. He, he he's a top 20, 25 player in the league easily. You put him. If you put him next to Jan, I mean, he's far better for instance. No, no offense to Chris Middleton. Not even close. Far more talented than Chris Middleton has been a multiple all-star. 
because he's standing next to Michael, you know, Giannis and his combo. It's like what I've told you before about Luke Longley and these guys who've got big contracts. If you stand next to somebody who's great and who elevates your team, you look a lot better. And, and but then when you get out on your own and tested, you're not nearly as good. If you put Chris Middleton on the Bulls, they wouldn't have won 15 games um, because he couldn't do the things that Zach Levine does to lift the team. Um, so you know, Billy's going to benefit but having you know a mature player like Dean, a better you know Kobe White, who's you know a second year and get a chance to start, and so you know, a little more continuity. I think they, you know, the draft pick they made looks like he'll be a good player. He's, you know, young and raw and going to be inconsistent. Um, but what what Donovan brings is the professional uh, professionalism and stability. And that's what all organizations need. Actually, they talk about it in, in the basketball a lot in different ways, having a good point guard or having a good coach, is they organize a team and they mm-hmm. have a plan and they have a philosophy. And that's, to me, a big thing. The Bulls lack a real philosophy of the game uh, in the last couple of years. Fred Hoiberg had one, and, but management gave him the wrong players. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then they got hurt. You know, he said, well, I want to play open, fast, all this sort of stuff, shoot threes. And they brought in Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo, which made no sense. Right. You know, guys, guys who play slow and, and can't shoot. <laughs> so, yeah. So Fred really didn't have a chance. And then they decided to rebuild, which I agreed with, you know, because of the circumstances and the finances at the time. Um, you know, and then, then they got the combination of injuries and the coaching change. And initially they were playing slow and then they were playing fast and then they were defending them. You know, they, they, they changed every two months about what they were doing. And so Donovan, you know, as an experienced coach in college and, and pro, successful, good teams, but has a specific philosophy. And so, you know, we'll see. I, I don't know, you know, how much, how much the talent is. Um, and that's what this season's going to be about. You can see that management is basically said, not that they had much, you know, opportunity, uh, but they could have, you know, they could have used some of that cap money to go out and get a potential starting level player, um, but they didn't. They decided to get just a reserve, you know, Temple hasn't played yet because he had COVID and I assume he'll play, or recover to be play before too long. But, um, I think they basically said, and it's kind of a smart thing. You know, you can't say it publicly, but I think it's a smart thing. You know, you can't put people in the building this year um, because of the uh, virus. So it's, you know, it's not like you've got to do anything to sell tickets. You know? I mean, yeah. they, they won't say, they can't say that. But, and so it's a, it's a great opportunity to analyze what you've got, you know, figure out a philosophy that you want to play with going forward which players you want to be part of your team going forward. Um, and then, you know, next summer, you know, when you've got some players, the contracts going off the books, the big contracts in Porter, you know, uh, limited, you know, non you know, not full guarantees for Zadaransky and Young, uh, Felicio, you know, you, you know, 
get a lot of cat money, now, obviously, because of everybody signing up. And I understand that because of the virus. Uh, do, I advise them to now, you know, take the money now because now everybody saw everything's not guaranteed for the rest of your life. So if somebody's going to, you know, if you got a chance to sign for long-term money now, take it, which obviously everybody did. Giannis signed up. Gordon Hayward got a deal. Uh, Paul George. Uh, you know, LeBron, Anthony Davis, all this big, you know, 2021 free agency with all these big names is all over now. Now it's the, you know, summer of DeMar DeRozan and uh, Kyle Lowry. So you're obviously not building your team, shaping your team around that. You know, and free agency has always been sort of a, you know, fool's gold thing anyway. You know, it's basically been setting up your fan base every year for failure uh, unless you got LeBron. Mm. So um, now it's now it's the reality of what it always has been. You know that that uh, if you can't get LeBron, um, you know figure out what you can do with the draft, with trades, you know, with the filling in around the edges, and and I think the the Bulls are well positioned to do that. You know, I think Zach's really good, really underrated. Um, you know, maybe not at the level of. Uh, certainly, you know, LeBron, but he's, he's at a level of most of the good players. I mean, I, he's every bit as good as like Damian Lillard. Uh, you take a player like that. I mean, if you feature Zach, they don't even feature him that much. I mean, he, he gets most of his stuff on his own. He's, you know, he's so talented. Now, if they, you know, if they, you know, featured him more and, you know, set him up for more, he could, he'd average 30 easily. Um, and I'd actually like to see the Bulls do that. I, I think they need to feature him more and, and sort of play him in a Jordan type of role um, because he has that talent. And, you know, really the only other one on the roster to me who has that talent is Kobe White. You know, everybody else needs somebody else to set them up to, to make a play. And those two can make plays on their own. Um, and so I, that's really where the strength of it is now. I think they're counting on Patrick Williams eventually because he's got this amazing size for a young. I hadn't seen him, obviously. I don't watch college ball, and he, uh, there wasn't much last season anyway. Right. And he was just a freshman. But now that I saw him play, at least on TV. I haven't been to any games this year. <laughs> but um, seeing him on TV, he, he's, he reminds me of LeBron when he came into the NBA. Not, not obviously the same skills but you know a huge body for a, for a you know a kid who just turned 19 and then so that's really encouraging that he's got you know skills to handle the ball a little bit you know not you know, soft shot you know nice shooting stroke um and good you know physical is really important and that's that's where you know mark and his questions about marketing um because he's he he gets you know pushed around a lot and so once the season starts, it's a big year for him, obviously, to yeah. see if he can play play through that. Um, you know, but but it's it's obviously you know a real upgrade to have Billy Donovan. He's you know he's he's not like the thing the only and I don't know if negative. He's not a he's not a big personality. You know, like you see where you know Phil. And Phil Jackson, in his way, even though he wasn't, he was a big personality. Pat Riley and Popovich, or you know, a lot of the top coaches, Doc Rivers. You know, he he's more of a kind of a grinder. 
um, you know, uh, real good basketball knowledge, uh, knows what he wants to do, you know, but more, you know, more of the sort of the, uh, the, co the coaching clinic kind of guy, you know, knows all the plays and knows what to do. And um, so it's not, I don't know how uh, emotional a leader he is, you know, but, you know, we've just seen him. We haven't seen any of that in Oklahoma City, but that was because he, he, he always had one of these super players. You know, he had right. Grant, Westbrook, uh, Paul George, Carmelo even for a while, I think, and, and then and Chris Paul. You know, so, so they, they are on-court leaders and dynamic personalities. So you never really noticed. It, 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 the Bulls don't have that. You know, Zach, like I say, is a great talent, but is not viewed as that kind of player, you know, sure Hall of Famer and all that sort of stuff. But but I think, you know, I think they're just going to be uh, more, much more disciplined, uh, better coached, um, you know, with a consistent philosophy. And more than that, you know, a coach who, some stability. You, you know, uh, all these guys, I think this is like the fifth or sixth coach for, for Levine. Um, it's, it's Carter. Has been in the uh, uh, NBA three years. This is his third coach, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, that's really disruptive, and especially when each coach has a different philosophy of what to do. I mean, there's no way you could have success when you're doing that. So, I mean, the Bulls have had, you know, now they've changed everything. New management, uh, new coaching staff, you know, and uh, a lot of consistency to it. So I think they're going to obviously much, be much better served with the organization they have now. Absolutely. Uh, last question for you. Do the Bulls have a chance at the playoffs this year? Yeah, 66% of the league has a chance at the playoffs. <laughs> That's a good point. Be, <laughs> there's going to be a play-in tournament, you know, 7 through 10, I guess it is. So, um, you know, they should have been – they had enough talent uh, to be in the playoffs last season. They, they, now, I know nobody likes the excuse of injuries, and they say, oh, it's part of the game. You know, but it's really not. You know, LeBron got hurt. The Lakers wouldn't have won the title. Um, the Bulls were on track to win a title, and then Derrick Rose got hurt. And the Bulls wouldn't, wouldn't have gone through all this ordeal if Derrick hadn't had all those knee injuries. I mean, they would still be, right now, uh, you know, on a 10-year run of contending um, if Rose had not had those injuries. So, and management would have looked good, you know, and uh, uh, Fred Hoy Tom Thibodeau or Fred Hoiberg, whoever it was, would have been coach of the year again. <laughs> so so that, that's, you know, uh, that's the vagaries of the business. Uh, and they did have, you know, Laurie Markin has, has never played a full season. Chris Dunn, who they didn't play a full season. Back when he came, was coming up ACL, didn't play that first season until, but, you know, 15 games or something. Otto Porter, they trade for, basically hasn't played this the entire season last season. Right. You know, so, you know, Hutchinson hardly ever played in the first round pick. Um, you know, and so you just can't overcome that. They, they were every bit as good as, as good as they were last season, say Orlando. I mean, they they have more talent in Orlando now. They have to, I thought they did before, um, but they had you know more key injuries. They, 
they 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 were as as talented, however much it was, as Brooklyn last season. You know, who didn't have Durant and Kyrie, mm-hmm. so they should have been in that spot, seven or eight, um, six, seven or eight, um, and would have, could have, but didn't. So you know, you are who your record is, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, that that talent is, is such. You know, what happened, you know, management, the previous management did a lot of good things, you know, made, you know, good draft, made the right draft picks where they did, you know, made, made trades that made sense at the time. Otto Porter, you know, came in, came in and right away they were winning games and, and, you know, he was uh, a big upgrade on what they had and, you know, then he got hurt (laughs) and didn't play. So what can you do? Um, and, and, you know, just to digress a second, and they always talk about free agency and Chicago never got anything and no one ever come. And that's not true. You know, Chicago, the Bulls have always been uh, one of the top franchises in the league for getting free agents. Now, it just didn't ever happen to be the year when it was LeBron. They were, you know, second or whatever it is, which means nothing, of course. But, you know, the year Ben Wallace was four-time defensive player of the year. You know, may be in the Hall of Fame sometime. They got him, you know, Boozer when they, that summer when they didn't get LeBron was uh, an all-star who had been on the Olympic team. You know, if you said, well, you know, next summer we're going to get an all-star who was on the Olympic team, you'd say, yeah, I'm excited about that. You know, Pau Gasol had to, was recruited by the Spurs and the Thunder, but he chose the Bulls. So they've gotten plenty of free agents. They just never got LeBron. So, you know, it's one thing. You know, like the Knicks, they never got a free agent. You know, I mean, the Sixers or the or Washington or Detroit or who's ever gotten all these free agents? You know, <laughs> so the Bulls have gotten free agents, and you know, and actually, in 2010 when they didn't get LeBron, they did a great job filling around free agents. You know, not only Boozer, they got Corver, they got C.J. Watson, you know, they got a lot of guys who filled up and built, you know, that built this team that ended up with the best record in the league two years in a row. You know, so they, they have gotten, you know, free agents. And I actually see this group doing something like that, you know, where, you know, uh, uh, there's no big free agent, but you get your, you know, your, your Kyle Korver and your C.J. Watson and your Kurt Thomas. And all of a sudden, you know, you build depth and you build some experience around your, your starters and, and it, you know, support the guys you've got. It looks a lot better. So, I actually can see something like that occurring next summer. But that said about the playoffs, yeah, they should be. Um, you know, there's, there's five really, four or five really bad teams in the East, like the Knicks and the Cavs. And, and so, you know, there are a couple of teams that are going to be eliminated, you know, or down. And they should be in that spot of seven to ten and, and should be have a good opportunity for that um, you know, play in situation. And, and uh, you know, and I think that obviously, like I said, I, I, that's where they should have been. And um, so it will look better. You know, maybe Billy Donovan will be coaching the year. Oh, <laughs> I would love that. Was, well, you know, in part because, you know, actually I thought last year, and even though I, I, I had my doubts about him as a coach, I thought the team would uplift the, uh, um, by Boylan because I thought there was more talent there than, than was being recognized for. And, and the, uh, you know, I thought, you know, with the additions of Sadoransky and Young, who are, 
you know, were well thought of veterans. Sadaransky did a great job in Washington when Wall got hurt. Thad Young was, you know, starting and an emotional leader for the Pacers and, you know, he, you know, helping them overachieve. And I thought, you know, adding those two guys, the Levine and marketing and what they had, that's, they should, they should make a big jump. You know, so I actually thought, you know, that I thought, I thought they, they, you know, they could be fifth or sixth last season. And then Boylan would get a lot of credit as the, you know, as a top coach because the team would have overachieved. And that's basically, and that's why a lot of coach of the year guys get fired like a, two years after they win coach of the year, because it's, it's often because the team was underestimated by the media and fans and does better than expected. So they say, well, the coach must be good. <laughs> so they yeah. take him coach of the year, you know, and then two years later, they say, well, you know, he's just another guy <laughs> because whatever happened. So that said, yeah, I, I think they should be, uh, competitive team. I think um, Donovan's the kind of coach who is going to stay on him and you know keep him pointed in the right direction. And I think they have enough talent, um, you know, to be in that second tier of teams that are competing for those last couple of playoff spots. Um, but of course, I said that last year too. So, <laughs> so we'll see. Well, then only time will tell. Yeah, I thought that, that on paper they were definitely looking uh, better than they panned out last year. But uh, thank you for an excellent interview and super fun talking Jordan rules with you. It was uh, very fun seeing you on uh, ESPN as well. So uh, thanks again for coming on. And maybe we'll talk in a few months when the Bulls are uh, looking to maybe break into the playoffs. Thanks again, Sam. Uh, sure, I'm jealous of people who have summer. Uh, good for you <laughs> absolutely well uh take it easy go bulls all right good to talk to you all right talk to you later that was author of the jordan rules sam smith you may have uh, recognized the voice from the last dance documentary you can check his work out at bulls.com or get yourself a copy of the Jordan rules as well. Thank you for listening today, everyone. And as always, go check out our guy, Evan Butris, the Wax Cowboy on Instagram. Slide into his DMs if you're looking to get some graphic design work done. We'll see you next time. <laughs>